Welcome to Metro Health's Prescription for Hope. I'm John Campanelli. The damage from the coronavirus goes way beyond the illness caused by those spiky, microscopic balls that we're all so sick of seeing. There's the mental toll, the fear, the loss, the isolation, and of course, the economic costs. There's also the damage caused by missing, avoiding, and postponing healthcare. Skipped appointments, screenings, tests, vaccinations, they've created something called care gaps, and they have the potential to create a secondary health crisis, and not enough people are talking about it. One person who is, is Dr. Bernie Boulanger, MetroHealth's chief clinical officer in charge of the system's 7,000 clinicians, the doctors, nurses, and other caregivers. We chatted recently, and I started out by asking him how the last four-plus months have been going for him. Yeah, well, they've been they've been trying for everybody, right? Inside and outside of healthcare, and inside healthcare, there's been a it's been an interesting time. So, especially at the beginning, you have to manage the patients, right, and make sure they're safe. Um, we we uh, we shut down access to a lot of services. In, in that time in order to keep uh, patients safe and in order to keep our people safe. So anybody that needed urgent or emergent care, they got it. You know, they got that kind of care. But anything that could wait, we put it off in, in, in the hopes of not, uh, not infecting people, either, either patients or their families or our staff. So that, there was a lot of work to do that part, just, just the turning off part of access. And then we had to plan for the uh, for the pandemic, so so we did surge planning, a lot of surge planning. Uh, we got to the point where we had a plan where we could increase our inpatient bed numbers uh, by 250 percent if we needed to. Right, so a lot a lot of surge planning. Mixed in with all that is 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 the is the threat to our people and their own health. I mean, our our people on the front lines. Um, but you know what? Our people showed up every day, and, and they're committed, and they did a great job looking after the people that needed to be cared for. The well, first of all, let's there was a, actually a reduction, from what I understand, of people coming in the emergency room with things that you would typically say you're going heart attacks, strokes. Why did that happen? The, yeah, the emergency department experience was the same across the country. And that is, and that is, volumes went way down in emergency departments. I mean, people were were not coming into the hospital, or I, I should say, not coming into the emergency department when they normally would. Now, I think they were afraid. They were afraid to come into anywhere like that, where, where they might get exposed to this new virus. This is a sort of a new disease for everybody. Um, so they didn't come in. You know, take diabetics for example. Now, diabetes is a is a condition that affects a, a, a many parts of the body, um, and we suspect some diabetics were at home managing managing their diabetes as, as best they could on their own, when maybe they had issues that they should have come in and had had us help them with. So, it's an experience that happened across the country. Um, it's raised a lot of concern across the country as to what's been happening at home. Are people having mini strokes at home and not coming in? Are people having, uh, are they having some crushing chest pain and they just decide to not come in? I mean, that would be quite concerning. So uh, the, the emergency department volumes, they're starting to come back. 
you know, uh, here and elsewhere. Um, so, so it's a real, it's, you know, it's a real concern. It's a real, real concern. And what about the other non-emergent things that are still need to happen? Things like screenings, immunizations. Can you talk a little bit about what dropped off and how we're going to hopefully reverse yeah, some of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a great question. So, so those are called care gaps. So if, if, if someone needs care, either they have a, 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 an acute issue that needs care or, or they have a chronic disease that needs care, or they need, or they're well and they need screening, and they don't get that care for whatever reason. Lots of reasons not to get you know, care. That's called a care gap. So, so there are many care gaps as resulted as as of COVID. Yeah, can you name some? Yeah, w- women coming in to get their routine mammograms for for screening, and it it was one of those services that. You know, we thought, and, and and the state thought, well, it could wait maybe a little bit, right? Because it's a screening test, but that creates a care gap. That you know, it creates a care gap. Uh, colon cancer screening, right? Have, having a colonoscopy when you hit a certain age, that that wasn't available for uh, you know for some period. So you get these care gaps developing. So it's uh, you know pediatric immunizations. I mean, I mean, kids coming in to get their shots. That, that didn't occur for a while. So, so that's another care gap. So there's lots of care gaps we're trying to close. So when we look at the numbers, you know, it's the COVID numbers where the whole nation is looking at, and they look at deaths, and those are folks who've died of coronavirus or COVID-19. And what are the, the folks who've, who, who are not getting screened or who, who, who have been maybe a stroke and, and, and hold off care, or miss miss a cancer screening, or God forbid, get measles and die sometime down the road. These are, is it fair to call them these victims of the crisis as well? Yeah, I, yeah, I think you could use that term. I mean, um, they they got caught up in this, right? In in the in the restricted access to care. Uh, I guess that on our side, on the side of health healthcare providers, and also their own fear. Their own fear, or their own fear that they they might actually get it and then give it to their uh, parent or grandparent, right? It, it, it's not always fear for themselves necessarily, fear for others. So, so you put those two things together, and it creates a situation where people uh, have not been able to access or weren't or chose not to access the care that they need. It's quite a job for us as an institution and for you to close this gap? How are we going to do this? Yeah, so there's a number of tactics for that. So one is we've got to recognize the gaps, right? And we've done a lot of work to, to, to identify the care gaps that, that we have uh, uh, for our patients. The second is opening up access to care, right? You, you, you got to open up the access, which we, which we followed the governor's guidelines as to, as to how we could open up. And we gradually opened up our, our health system. Um, we are now we're now fully open. You know the next issue is uh, outreach. I mean, there's patients who know they have a care gap, right? Like they know that they need to, you know, I now I need to get my knee done, my knee replaced. It, I, I, it was put off, but I can't walk anymore, and now I have to get back there. So, so there's so there's patients that recognize that. Then there's other patients who might 
might not perceive so much that it's a care gap, and so we're reaching out to people. I'll give you an example, a, a really good example, reaching out to, uh, to parents to make sure that their children come in and get up to date on their, on their vaccines. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a simple one, but, uh, but, but there's a lot to do. You have to convince a, a, a mother or, or, or father or caregiver to bring that child uh, into a care environment that has been a bit scary for a while, right? So, so, so there's a lot of work going on to reassure people that we are we are making our environment as safe as it can be, you know, so that they come back. So, opening up access and then reassuring people to come on back in. I just heard earlier in the week that our mobile mammography RV vehicle where you can walk on and get screened and walk off it in, I don't know, half hour, something really great, that it's going to be parked at uh, discount drug mart parking lots all summer. Just we're, to- we're moving it around uh, in a part to close these care gaps, right? And, and which locations do we have uh, where we need better access to uh, mammography screening? And so, yeah, yeah, that's an advantage of a mo- uh, you know, mobile unit, right? You can, you can take it to where you need mm-hmm. it. So. So you mentioned the safety of the hospital. So we're cleaning like crazy. I mean, we've always been clean, but we're yeah. redoubling the efforts. Correct. Everyone's wearing a mask. Correct. You're, we're, sitting, we're sitting 10, 12 feet apart. It, it seems to me, tell me if I'm right, that it's really safer now to go to the hospital than at any time. Well, that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point, right? And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it. Like when you first walk into any of our sites or or, uh, or any of our hospitals, it, 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 I'm sure it has a look to people. People have masks on and there's signs and all this sort of stuff. It looks a bit alarming, but I suspect you're right. And, and you wonder, you wonder what this influenza season is going to be like. Because now the hand washing, the distancing, the masks, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just a... It's, you know, it's a whole new world, and, 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 and those will likely be in place to some degree when, when the normal influenza season hits. Is it going to be a light season because of all the precautions? It, it's possible. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I you know, did a little poking around, and preventive cancer screenings across the United States, is this number right? Down up to 94% yeah. in the past couple months? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this care gap is not, it's more like a canyon in a lot of cases. It, yeah, it, it, it's big. It's big. And, and what, you, what you want to do now is, is you want to get people, you want to give access to those screenings, and, and you got to get the people to come in for the screenings, right? They have to be reassured enough, and they have to have the feeling that they can come in and feel safe to do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, when the history books are written and when you are retired, how are we going to look back on uh, coronavirus, COVID-19? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it depends who, who, who you're asking that question to. From my perspective, it, this was uh, a, a significant disruption to, to the healthcare industry. I mean, and I'll you know, speak to that for a second. Um, but you know what? There's a lot of good coming out of this. There's a lot of good coming out of this. We, we have learned w- what we can actually do that we never thought we could do before, such as telehealth. 
the utilization of telehealth so that's a telephone visit with a doctor or a provider or a like a video visit mm-hmm. with them you know like FaceTime that that type of thing there was very little of that anywhere in the country really in 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 2019 we, we were forced to do it you know starting in uh, you know March we were forced to provide care that way because that's the only way we could provide care safely to patients. And you know what? I mean, I mean patients like it. In large part, they, in, in, you know, for most cases, they actually like it. And our, our physicians and providers have realized that this is, wow. I mean, we, you know, we can actually do this. Let me give you an example. So, so our psychiatry department, we have many psychiatrists and psychologists. Right now, uh, for their outpatient visits, so you know, clinic visits, about 80% of them are telehealth visits, 80%. They used to be 0%. And it's actually working very well for the patients and, and, and for their psychiatrists. So you know, when COVID's done, I, I think the disruption it's created, there will be good things come of it. You know, and and obviously we'll have to remember, and you know, continue to remember all the people that suffered because of it, and and you know who passed away because of it. Um, so, uh, you know, significant tragedies, but but some good will come of it. Yeah. So the podcast is called Prescription for Hope. What's your? You talked a little bit about some of the silver linings here. What's what's your message of hope? coming out of this well the message of of, of hope I you know I think there's there's several I would think uh, one is that uh, here at Metro health and and elsewhere in the country healthcare workers rose to the occasion here they rose to the occasion and you see the celebrations all over the country you know they, they have and, and you know, especially in New York places like that for healthcare workers so, so that's the first thing people should be hopeful in the in the uh, in the condition and, and the dedication of of the healthcare system to uh, you know the nation, the obviously we're all hoping for a vaccine. We're all hoping for an effective vaccine um, as soon as possible. Uh, I, I think when when that comes, you know people will will breathe a sigh of relief. That will that will give people a lot of hope that we can get back to you know large sporting events and other other things that we we all uh, all enjoy um and i think there is there's there's significant hope that this disruption will improve healthcare delivery in our country and actually around the world i I have significant hope for that we will see that as, as a result of the tragedies that have occurred thank you so much for coming and, uh, oh, it's a pleasure. For pleasure. closing the gap. Right. Okay, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon with more episodes. In the meantime, keep washing your hands and wearing your mask. There's no better sign that you care about your neighbors. <laughs>